Hello and welcome to Billiken Babble. I'm your host Carter Chapley and the, and the Billikens are headed down to the Carolinas to take on the Davidson Wildcats at Belk Arena, one of the more talked about locales for a Billiken game as of course as many on Twitter have dubbed it and I guess more other social media sites, the Belk Curse, which I guess is a fair um, moniker. It's the, the Billikens have literally never won at Belk Arena. They're 0-4, so it's a limited, you know, options. The Billikens never played Davidson particularly well. They play particularly poorly. That's kind of the curse part of it. It's not just that they lose. It's that they look terrible when they head down to Belk Arena. So it's, it's, it's a game that doesn't inspire much courage headed into the Friday A-10 matchup game matchup but you know it's a game that i think if you were to look at some of the um advanced numbers you would think well well, well, well you know why is it slew his worry this is a game they should win this is a you know this is this is this is the time this, this slew is playing some of their best basketball davidson is on an off year uh, with new head coach um, matt mckillop taking over at davidson uh, son obviously of bob mckillop Davidson is 10 and 10, they're 3 and 5 in the Atlantic 10. What do you do about that? This is an away game. Those kinds of things don't really matter. You're going into their house in a building you've never played very well. Kind of throw all those stats out the window. What are you supposed to, what are you supposed to think? That's that's kind of how I see it. I do want to hit on some topics of conversation. Put on Twitter, folks, what topics do you want me to hit on and why? What are some things you want, want to hear talked about headed into this game? The first one coming from, of course, uh, Zach from the Midtown Madness podcast. Do you believe in curses? I do. I do believe in curses uh, in terms of sports. I don't believe in curses like witchcraft. I believe in curses like sports. And the reason I believe in curses is because those are they're psychological more than anything. A curse is something that a player experiences or a group of players experience collectively, usually when extra psychological toll is put on players. I say I believe in it because I've now talked to enough players who, to, to kind of form the opinion that like, these guys aren't stupid. It's a pretty bold statement, I know. There's a lot of really intelligent people playing sports. Things like Fred Thatch, no, like knows what his record is against certain teams. Gibson Jimerson knows that they've never gone into Belk Arena and won a game. Uh, you know, you go into the you go into Major League Baseball. Guys know that they don't perform very well at certain ballparks, and so you layer on that extra, you know, psychological warfare on top of guys, and that's why, and that's you know where those curses start popping up because all of a sudden. Not only are they not playing the regular sport, they're now thinking about, oh God, well, we have to perform at a certain level. We have to perform at a certain rate. We have to do certain things in order to break the curse. So yeah, I do. I do believe in curses. Do I, do I believe that like the curse of the billy goat? Do I believe the Bartman stuff? Do I believe um, the Leafs, the Toronto Police haven't won a cup since 1967. I'm sure there's a curse you could justify that. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. They please haven't won a cup since 1967. Uh, hard for me not to at least acknowledge the fact that some teams seem to have all the luck and some don't. And 
maybe going into a building, maybe there's something about Belk Arena. Maybe it's the travel. Maybe it's the amenities. Maybe it's the sight lines. Um, I know Slu was practicing today, Thursday, that is, before heading down to the Carolinas to, to, to Davidson um, with Wilson basketballs rather than their usual Nike or Spaldings because Wilson is what the, the, I believe it was Wilson was what they were using, is what Davidson uses. So it's a new basketball they have in their hand that they're not quite as, as used to. Who knows? Maybe there, there, there are plenty of reasons there could be a curse in at Belk Arena. This could be one of them, but now is the time to, now is the time to break it. Okay, two questions here from at this Justin 1818, a Billiken fan named Justin, based on the name, which is actually very, it's a very clever handle. Um, I'd love to hear your general thoughts on the rotation as it stands. If Larry Hughes Jr., TJ Hargrove, and Sincere Parker continue to ball, who is forfeiting minutes? Coach doesn't often play with the starting lineup. Should he? Which lineups have been the most effective in conference play? There have been some talk about how Sincere and Larry Hughes Jr. seem to boost each other when they're on the floor together. I'd love to hear some analysis on what other combos are working for, working or not. Okay, so a lot there. Um, thoughts on the rotation in general. Okay, so first and foremost... The rotation in general seems to be still a work in progress. So it's hard to say thought like to give real thoughts. They are still very much recovering post Fred Thatch Jr.'s injury to finding out who's going to get those minutes, which kind of folds into the second question. If Larry, TJ, and Sincere continue to ball, who's forfeiting minutes? Right now there are minutes to be had. So no one's going to be forfeiting. It's all about who's going to be getting more right now. We're still kind of seeing that. Um we're seeing Larry take over a few minutes in the first half, first halves especially uh, at the point guard position, taking some pressure off of Yuri. I think that's a really healthy uh, substitution. Yuri needs to be taking, you know, you can't play a guy 40 minutes a game for 18 games in conference play. You need to give, give Yuri some opportunities to take rests, um, not only for like in-game production, but those minutes add up over the course of a season. You don't want his body breaking down towards the end of the year and, and him not playing at his best. This is an, That's important. So Larry Hughes picking up minutes there. Sincere is kind of the big one because Sincere doesn't do a lot of the things that Fred did and, and TJ does more of those things. TJ is more responsible for some defensive things, playing the top in, in a zone, rebounding, perimeter, perimeter defense, uh, you ask more of TJ because of his athleticism and his reach, whereas Sincere is, at, at this point, an offensive weapon. One, you know, we can talk all day about why Sincere has been important and why his play has changed the offensive dynamic of the Billikens, but that, that's his role, is to be an offensive weapon and then to play as good defense as he can, particularly play one-on-one, strong one-on-one defense and, and know when to pressure and when to not and, and to be part of the team and play part as on the string, so to speak. But it's not yet, his defensive responsibilities are not yet quite as high as the ones we expect TJ to have. Which I, I think where, you know, who, who sees fewer minutes? Well, I think we saw it in a couple of games where, you know, Sincere gets 13 minutes in the first half and 13 points. And, or, and then sees like one or two minutes on the floor in the second. Uh, that's his role right now. TJ played more in the second halves, especially against, um, I believe it was in the LaSalle game, and I'm trying to think of the other of the other game, of the Loyola game, where, like, Sincere bailed them out. He was huge, and he just didn't see as many minutes. So if, 
I had to say who's forfeiting minutes right now if all three of those guys can continue to play really well. Right now, it's probably sincere. Uh, I think that will be a um, the dynamic roster, um, you know, rotation. Is sincere needed offensively? Is someone else playing really well defensively? Is there a matchup you can exploit where maybe you can have sincere on the floor and not lose some de- – like, I think that'll be dynamic for the rest of the year. Uh, right now, we're, we've seen Slew is pretty much down to a nine-man rotation, uh, depending on health. Um, you ha- I mean, you have your starting five. Uh, that's the next question you kind of get into. Coach doesn't often play with the starting five, should he? Uh, I don't see a reason to, unless there's, like, a button that needs to be pushed um, behind the scenes. But, like, right now, that's starting five of Yuri, Fred, or, excuse me, Yuri, Gibson, Javante, Terrence, uh, and uh, uh, Francis Okoro seems to be the, like, one they're going to stick with because that seems to be the one they seem to be starting out well enough with. Um, Javon Pickett is still really finding himself. He's the sixth man right now, I would say. And then Jake Forrester is the seven man because um, it's, I mean, those it's, that's your center, and, and he rotates with Francis. Like, that's fine. That's a two-man center group. I'd like to see, you know, I think we could see TJ play some more five, especially in some certain particular stretches. Uh, like I'm talking two or three minute stretches, not extended stretches. Um, this Davidson game is not one where I expect to see a whole. I mean, we 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 could, we could see some Terrence at the five if like you know, um, if, if we if you really feel like you need to um, guard the perimeter a little bit more. Like uh, Davidson has a has a guy. We can get into that roster a little bit later, like Reed Bailey or David Skogman, who can shoot the ball really well from deep. And it seems like Terrence is a better perimeter defender than Francis is. I mean, it doesn't seem like that. We know that. And so you could see him getting more center minutes, but that's a very like limited stretch. I'd actually be really comfortable letting Davidson shoot threes right now. They do not shoot it very well as a team. 326th in the nation, three-point shooting percentage at 30% average so that's fine with me but again this is like this is the thing it's okay we'll get back to this davidson game in a second we're talking about rotations right now starting lineups don't matter i i i I don't they haven't mattered in the entire life of travis ford being at slew starting lineups do not matter ending lineups matter so i just don't see a reason to get fixated on the starting lineup i think there was a reason last year fred thatch needed to start for this team last year because he had a health issue that required him not, and, and we I've talked about it to death because I thought it was one of the more interesting situations where it's like, oh, the starting lineup really does matter here, where it, it was um, Fred couldn't go through with his health issue, the shoot pregame shoot around, sit, warm up, sit, pregame routine, sit, five minutes of gameplay, play. He couldn't go. He couldn't sit that often. He couldn't start stop that often. So they found it was better for his health to go straight from shoot around, warm up, pregame, play, then sit. It was a, it was a better for his health. It, it, they got more out of him uh, because of it, and so that was a reason to have him in the starting lineup. This team doesn't have one of those. This isn't a situation where it's like, ooh, Javante really needs to come off the bench because that's where he's best. We've seen doesn't really matter anymore. Two years ago, Javante felt he needed to come off the bench, or he wanted to come off the bench. He was given the opportunity to start, and he he said, "I like coming off the bench. It gets me into the flow of the game." Great, cool. 
Uh, if he asks to do that again, can't imagine he is, because um, he hasn't been doing it thus far, great, do it. But there's, I just don't see a reason to get fixated on the starting lineup. In terms of most successful lineups uh, of the past in conference play, um, I, I, I can't say whether there's been one that's been more or less successful. I think that's kind of been the exciting part of the lineups that we've seen. I think we, you mentioned it, there is something about the Larry Houston, Sir Yuri, Terrence, Francis lineup that's interesting. Don't, I don't know what it, or Javon and, and Jake Forrester, or, or like, you know, those, but that like one, two, three, Yuri, Larry, Sincere lineup that's been interesting. Um, I can get to that a little bit later, but I mean, it's something to, uh, I, I'd like to point you in the direction of the fact that 32% of all minutes played has been this one lineup, and it's been Yuri, Gibson, Terrence, Javante, Francis. It, it's, the, it's a third of the lineup that's being played, and it's, I think, the more I look at it, the, the best lineup they have right now, because if part of that has been Javante Birkin's resurgence, part of that has been Terrence Hargrove finding a second layer to his game. I've seen it a couple more times now where he's feeling really comfortable driving to the hoop all of a sudden, something that he did really well in high school, and then but that never translated to the college game. Now he's feeling a little more confident doing it. We're seeing more passing out of Gibson. And, I mean, Yuri is being Yuri. And so, and then on the other, the other side of that 1-5 matchup, Francis has really simplified his game. He's not putting as much pressure on himself to be offensive. He's just grabbing boards, which is huge because he doesn't have to put pressure on himself to bring offensive game, right? He just has to grab rebounds and get them to his teammates because right now when you have guys like, like Javante and Terrence and Gibson and Yuri playing the way they have, like – that's enough offensive firepower. You just need to be really good at the one thing you do, right? Like that's that. Hey, that's great. You have a guy in um, Terrence Hargrove who's shooting, you know, thirty three percent from from deep. He's shooting. Uh, what's his effective field goal percentage here? Hold on, fifty four percent effective field goal percentage. Uh, sincere fifty two. Like you have guys who are playing at a really high level shooting wise so if you can take that pressure off of Francis offensively and he just needs to get offensive boards or defensive rebounds great that simplifies it that's 30 percent so that seems to be the most effective one uh I think the answer for the Yuri sincere Larry Hughes or the sincere Larry Hughes matchup is that teams and this might adapt and this is the thing I'd like to keep an eye on for the next couple of weeks um, teams aren't ready to adapt to a lineup. They aren't prepared to like immediately change and throw it out there. So it's working in short, these, these are really nice short stints to a lineup where the Billikens have three guys who can really handle the ball and play one-on-one -on -one basketball. Who can both, who can, who, you have two guys who can play point guard and Sincere who is, who can play one-on-one -on -one ball, ball better than, almost anyone else on the floor, it seems. Uh, and so you all of a sudden have all these ball handlers and you can't play the same way as they've been planning to play against just Yuri, right? Like the, Yuri has been a monolithic part of the offense in that it has been very heliocentric to him. The ball has been entirely in his hands. He is the master and commander of the offense and I've been screaming about it all year um, 
in games like, and it's become, it was very apparent in games like Maryland, games like Iona. I thought, they, I thought when things got bad against SIUE in, in my rewatches, it's when this happened. It's because teams clue in and just rush Yuri Collins and, or, or they make it in, like, they, they make him put the ball in somebody else's hand and then take it away from them, right? Like Gibson is showing a passing touch, but he, he, he's not like a one-on-one ball guy. He's not a ball handler. Um, Javon Pickett's a little bit more, but he doesn't pass the ball as well as you'd hope a 6'5", you know, guard forward would. Um, Javante hasn't shown the edge as a driver slasher scorer until very recently. And so it's it's been difficult. So when you get this lineup where it's like Yuri Sincere, Larry, you ha- it, it creates a degree of spacing that hasn't existed in a, in a different sense. Like it's not spacing as if like, oh, you have guys all on the perimeter, you're playing five out and you're just moving the ball and you can cut into the... No, it's spacing as in like everyone needs to be guarded because, you ha- because like anybody can take their man off the dribble because they're all good ball handlers. They all, they're all release fouls for each other. And so I think it leads to this more um, um, dispersed, less one-man-centered um, offense that is, to me is really, really interesting and has proven to, in at least short spurts, be really effective. It's been really, it's been really, really good. So I'm not quite sure like what the X's and O's of why those two are working better, but it seems like the big, like the, the overarching theme of what those X's and O's are is that like when you have more guys on the floor who can handle the ball, who can also, I mean, who aren't just ball handlers, they can do other things. Larry has shown a confidence, and at some point we're going to talk about Larry Hughes on the conference, on the all-conference rookie team. The conference is very weak at the rookie position, like for rookies this year. That's the transfer portal. That's a lot of different things, but there aren't a ton of rookies getting a ton of minutes. Um, He's someone to keep an eye on for that. And Larry has shown, a, a, and, and again, like he didn't play in the non-conference. When I vote in the media poll for the conference teams at the end of the year, the three-bid league puts out every year, um, I only factor in conference play. That's how I make my distinction. Conference awards should go for conference play. That's how I make it. That's how I make choices. So Larry is going to get considerable um in my opinion, considerable look as he has been in, I mean, in conference play. He's played every game in conference play. He's, you know, averaging anywhere from, um, you know, four, seven to 26 to 14 minutes. Didn't play a ton against LaSalle. It's fine. Um, but he's, you know, he's playing really, really well at a position where they really need him. And if it really, it really does come down to like how, how he develops, but he's shown a degree of confidence that is really, really impressive. He's made, he's, you know, shot a bunch of threes, um, been really effective as a mid-range shooter, as a ball handler. So that, that's that been what I, I, you know, you have Sincere who can score and handle the ball. Yuri has shown he can score now more than, more than he has probably in his career. I think he's coming up on, um, his career high in points. Funny enough, I'd have to I'd have to recheck on that those totals, but he's coming up on his career high in points, um, and he can pass and he can rebound. It's all these, but you get more dynamic play is what I'm trying to say. 
Uh, lots of questions here from Justin. I'm more than happy to go through all of them, just kind of working through them here. Um, I think that's all from Justin. Um, asking about what combos have been working um, really well. I've, I have found the Gibson and, and uh, Jake Forrester combo really interesting. They seem to really have a um, connection in terms of um, passing and getting the ball into the paint. Um, Jake's, you know, starting to show that, like, shifty, mobile, big man um, game on offense, which has been really exciting as a, as a change from Francis. Um, I still think he has an he has a step on, you know, Francis is still very definitively the starting uh, five. There's no, like, earlier in the year, I know there was something to talk about. There's, no, there's nothing to talk about. Um, Francis is the better rebounder, the better defender. I think that's pretty, like... That's not up for discussion at this point. Uh, but Jake having this extra, like, rotational dynamic makes it interesting. And I I have found I, I'm always looking for when Gibson has the ball. He seems to be able to find Jake really well. So if I had to answer that question, um, that is what I would say. Um, last, uh, last answer or last question from the fans on Twitter Um from Pete, why aren't we pressing when we have the depth? Well, I think that's a really good question to start a conversation. I don't know if that conversation is for today, um, but it's a really good question. Why aren't we pressing when we have the depth? I, I would say my first answer and the quick answer is I don't think you. I don't think we have the depth you think we do, uh, or Slu has the depth you think they do. They have a nine-man rotation. One of those is a center. Um, or only two of those are centers. One of them is a point guard. You feel reliable putting the ball in their hands. Um, the others are Gibson, Javante, um, and Sincere, and Javon Pickett. And like, it's like pressing. And then, so that's, that's one reason is the depth isn't actually there. It's like, sure, they're not the five-man rotation that Mark Schmidt ran to the ground for St. Bonaventure. So you had to kind of like sit back and let teams like get up to court e simply. But you know, they don't have they don't have this like supreme depth that you can just play a forty minute full court press. You can play, and here's where here's the next point is that um, pressing only works if you use it judiciously. Uh, teams can learn how to get out of a press. They can like the more the more opportunities you give them to practice getting out of your press, the more different presses you throw at them, the more chances there are for a breakdown. And breaking, that's kind of the double-edged sword of breaking a press is that, like, if teams break a press, it oftentimes leads to really easy points. Um, so I think for multiple reasons, one, Slu wants to use full-core presses judiciously. Um, they don't want to give away points for free based on teams knowing how to break a press. Um, two, they don't, have the, they don't have the depth to do it at a full game pace um, I mean even teams like West Virginia who are known for their press don't do it 40 minutes a night um, they do it a lot but they don't do it 40 minutes a night uh, it's it, it's not viable would I like to see them maybe do it a little more 
Maybe. Yes, that's something to talk about. I think saying like doing it all night is is bad. I can't now and now I'm trying now I'm second guessing myself on this question as to like whether you're saying like why don't we do it? Why don't they do it more? Um which I think is okay, so I think that's fair. Why aren't we why aren't we pressing since we have the depth? Should they do it perhaps a little bit more? Maybe. I'd look into that. I'd consider that. Um I would not take it out of hand and just do it like you just you can't. So that that's interesting. So that that's that. Um there's a larger conversation to have about full court pressing later. This game at Davidson is shaping up to be a fascinating one. It's a, it's it's again it's a conference road game. It's one of those games where you like just get out of there with a win. Uh, Ken Pum has slew as a one point favorite. Um this isn't this isn't a year ago's Davidson team. This isn't five years ago's Davidson's team. This is a foster lawyer and a group and a group of guys team. And foster lawyer is still really, really good. He has not been playing up to snuff. The problem is, is that I think it's really fair. You know, Davidson has not been playing. They 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 say they're bad. Okay, I don't believe you. Um, you know, they have a 142 ranked offense, 151 ranked defense. They don't block. They don't block the ball on defense. They don't shoot the ball well on offense. They don't get offensive rebounds. They don't turn the ball over. They don't turn like it's a. There's not a whole. They don't force a lot of turnovers. They don't take a lot of three. Like there's just a lot of things here where it's like this isn't the Davidson team you know. They haven't played up to that all season, and yet I think it's still fair to be like really hesitant in a conference road game going into their gym in a building you don't feel comfortable with, and being like. Yeah, these numbers don't mean anything to me. Like they, like I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm still nervous. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's really fair. I think like it's fair to look at like on offense, they have an effective field goal percentage of forty nine point seven. It's two hundred and fourteenth in the nation. They don't shoot the ball well. Um, they have a, they don't take a lot of threes. They give up a ton of them. Um, they like they they're just not they haven't been playing very well, and yet it just seems to not matter, right? Like it's it like okay. So here's here's another good example. Davidson is coming off what is described as their worst win of the year. They beat they beat LaSalle. Uh, they did so sixty four fifty seven uh, at LaSalle. Okay, sure. Slew also coming off of their worst win of the year versus LaSalle. So it's like, okay, what's going on there? Um, Slew, uh, Davidson's performances have been far lesser in terms of game score than Slew's have. Um, what else? There's, there's like Davidson, it doesn't have any of the, like any of T-Rank's fun rankings. They don't play very well. Um, nothing about this team screams great. They don't shoot the ball well. They don't um, rebound the ball well. Our defense is okay. Like, their defense is okay. Um, but all it takes is Slew not having a very good night shooting the ball from deep or taking good jump shots or getting to the rim, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, ooh, ooh, I do not like where this is headed. Um, I do not I, – I don't – like, it's just you – know, it's okay to not feel confident going into this game. Um, I, I, th- I, I think Slew has found something in the last – two weeks I think ever since ever since that game at GW they figured some stuff out um, 
against some bad opponents. Um, some new offensive stuff they were talking about. Travis Ward said that they're able to utilize and and you know energize guys like Javante and Gibson better, even with Yuri on the floor because they played a game without him. Um, so I think there's there's a lot there to be excited about. And this is the time to prove it. This is the time to go into into Davidson, break the curse, play a really, really good game and win at Davidson and take advantage of a league that isn't playing very well. Davidson's in an off year. Go take advantage. I think it's that can throw all the analytics at you you like. I don't think anybody really cares. They want to see them see this team go into Belk Arena, win a road game. Um, remain tied for the lead in the league. I mean, so, and then like you look forward to the next game and it's Fordham uh, on the road on Tuesday and you start wondering like, okay, you go into that. So let's say they win both of these games, right? You win both of these games on the road, Davidson and Fordham. You all of a sudden have a eight and one record with nine games to play and a five game or a four game lead on the double bye. Magic number is now at four for a double buy. Huge stretch of games. You can really guarantee yourself some nice little night in uh, in Brooklyn just in this next week. So numbers, I can throw them all at you. Uh, I can I can keep reading numbers at you that, that that I think to most people are meaningless. Davidson plays one of the slowest games in, in the nation. Um, they have the 12th ranked offense in the conference, the 15th tempo. Um, they are the worst three-point shooting team in the conference. And I tell you, they shoot 26% in conference play this year. And I think everyone listening to me right now, anyone that can hear my voice will tell you, yeah, but they'll shoot 9 of 15 in this game because that's just the way it goes. Yeah, you're, you're right. I don't, I don't think I can tell you numbers that'll make you feel better. This, you can, all I can tell you is that SLU has played far better in the last three weeks, two weeks. You know, best effective field goal percentage in the in the conference. Best two-point rate percentage in the conference. Third best three-point shooting in the conference. They're still not turning the, turning the other team over, but like, SLU is playing at a rate that is far more... Uh, uh, they're, they're playing like we think they should, like we thought they should have all year. And now they go into Davidson, you gotta win a game. So that's all for now. It's Friday 10. They're the game of the night, ESPN. It's gonna be a fun night. Thank you everyone for listening to Billigan Babble. I appreciate all the support you give to the show and, and, and the fact that I get to continue doing this and you guys keep listening to me, even though I'm sure some of you uh, are screaming. Oh, you didn't say this, you didn't say that? Yeah, well, yeah, fair enough. Uh, so thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.